Welcome to the Mexico Business Now podcast. This is a view from the top, an open space for industry experts to share knowledge, information, and expertise on the most relevant topics, events, and happenings under corresponding sectors. Welcome to Mexico Business Now podcast. Today's guest is Nadia Benaiza, Global Head of Marketing at Paymentology. Paymentology is the first global issuer processor for payment processes. It provides banks, new banks, fintechs, and telcos the technology and experience to easily issue and process any type of physical or virtual card anywhere in the world, rapidly and at scale. The company currently has payments experts with deep local market knowledge on the ground in more than 60 countries across 14 time zones, guaranteeing 24-7 worldwide support. Welcome, Nadia. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for your time. I would like to give you this space for you to introduce yourself and your role within Paymentology. Perfect. Thanks, Perla, for having me. Happy to be part of this podcast. So I'm Nadia Benaisa. I'm the Global Head of Marketing at Paymentology. So I have spent about 20 years of experience in the world of fintech, payments, you know, and neobanks. And aside of my role at Paymentology, I'm also an active member in Fintech Association and a mentor of early stage startups. I represent Paymentology here. We are a globally sure processor. It means that we work with banks, fintechs, telecom organizations to connect them to the world of payments, to the right rails, to make sure that, you know, their clients, be it, you know, consumer or businesses, have payment methods in their hands or on their mobile, be it a card, physical or, or virtual of any types. And we do this globally for over 400 institutions around the world. And in the region, in Latin America, we work with organizations like Nelo, Fondeadora, that some of you might know. Excellent. Thank you so much for that introduction. Okay, to start the conversation, my first question will be, now that as demand for card issuance and processing grows exponentially, how can a multi-cloud platform effectively handle the increasing complexities of global regulations and compliant requirements across multiple jurisdictions? I would say that, you know, institutions and financial institutions in particular, they collaborate with various cloud platforms, depending on their strategy. So it can be, you know, a security approach that they might apply, a data sovereignty approach. It might be a large multi-institutions who's acting maybe in many, many countries uh, that wish to manage, you know, their operation more efficiently. There is a rising need for multi-cloud platforms, but I would say for us as a processor, the infrastructure is not the most critical point because we have chosen to be cloud agnostic. So be it, you know, a shared platform, a private platform or a multi-cloud institution, it doesn't matter to us. What is most important is the complexity around, I would say, the local regulation. So you really have to adapt. Some countries, you know, like to have the data in country. Some companies might want to, you know, have the same products across all of their clients, but they have to comply with the way we do payment in those countries. So for us as Paymentology and as a processor, it's important that we tailor, you know, the platform to the localized regulation. Any type of cloud doesn't matter. It's about the specificity. And if I give you an example about Mexico, when you tap your card or you put your card on a POS machine in a shop, it's not done the same way as another country in Colombia or in Panama. So we have to adapt those requirements, those needs about, you know, payment flows, the value chain, customer information, where it goes, where it is rooted. And this is the most important point that we look at when we work with an institution. 
Sure. It sounds like many, many factors are taken into account. And now that you operate in so many countries, how do you handle all the varying degrees of regulation in different countries? And how can a company like Paymentology help to homogenize regulations and standards in payment technology? I would say that Paymentology is a highly international, diverse organization. When you introduce us, you mentioned about, you know, the 14 different time zones that we operate in. That gives you an idea of, you know, how large can we serve clients? How local can we be? We have people also in over 60 countries and people speaking languages in most of those countries. It means that we deal with clients in their local language. We understand also the way we do payment, the way we bank, whether it's Mexico, Brazil, Colombia, or, you know, Papua New Guinea. So we have to adapt to those. So we have the people, the expertise, so they are all payment experts. And this richness of, you know, serving 400 clients in all of those countries make it possible for us to localize. And I would say, you know, this background, this knowledge help us make it possible to deliver product for consumer, for businesses the way they want it, but also to tailor for the local spatial. If I may say as well, in terms of the way we adapt, it's important to have a platform, a technology platform that can cater for all of this, that is multilingual, that is connected to multiple jurisdictions as well, so that whatever you give to the financial institutions, they can really work with and then tailor product to the customer needs. Okay. And what are the key points you take into account when deploying operations in a country or when you want to expand in there? How do you for navigate us- It's very important to understand first the population. How do they make payment? Today, are they using card or are they largely unbanked? Are there any wallets planning to launch in the country? Google, Apple, Samsung. Are there any local special condition by the national switch that we need to comply with to make sure that, you know, at a domestic level, someone who uses a card can use it at every ATM, every post machine, but also can use it internationally. So all of those components help us make a decision and take a decision on how we're going to serve a market and which one maybe we may enter next. Excellent. And landing into Mexico's landscape. Mexico has a large unbanked and underbanked population. How do platforms like this one contribute to financial inclusion by enabling easier access to card-based financial services for this population? Financial inclusion is a very big problem in many, many regions and countries. And it was not solved for many, many reasons. But one of them is that, you know, traditional banks, they didn't have the capabilities or the means to reach those customers, but also to deliver products to them in an affordable way. So the fact that today you have technology, virtual cards, that people have access to mobile phones, that you can pay using QR codes, all of those emerging technologies have made it possible for us to design products that are more inclusive. Also, you can serve the clients, you know, in a more cost-effective way. You can understand the client better based on different data. You don't have to have, you know, the bank history. It can be, for example, from a small business, knowing that they are paying suppliers, that they are ordering goods at quite good frequency, that they have clients, that this is growing. And maybe you can create alternative scoring model for them. And plus, we have new type of products that we design today, such as micro loans, for example, buy now, pay later, where there's a lot of controversy. So you have to do it in a very ethical manner as well. But those make it possible 
possible to serve those clients which we could not before. And regarding the challenges you may identify with this early adoption or new growing sector that tries to serve to this unbanked population, what are the challenges that you identify or that you think the industry should put attention when moving forward? I think a lot of this is not around the technology or the product that we offer. It's about creating trust. Because we are dealing, you know, with people's money, those unbanked, they prefer to keep the money differently. So it's about how do we give them value for them to put their money in a digital world? How do we make it easy for them to pay and get paid? And how do they see the benefit from it? What do they win from going, you know, digital rather than using cash? You need to win some kind of benefits. And this is why it's important to educate first, but also give a benefit in exchange. Is it speed? Is it transparency? Is it helping me get maybe more financing? So we have to come up with the right value proposition, I would say, for those type of customers. So it's not about going from cash to digital. It's much more profound to this, to be able to bridge the gap. That is very interesting. And you tapped into my next question. Now, digital payments adoption is a growing sector here in Mexico. What benefits can you tell us about that this transition could bring to consumers and businesses in Mexico? I would say digital payments makes it possible from the start to first either open an account or get a card right away. To give you an example, in a traditional bank, you would just visit a branch and then open an account. You might receive your cards in a couple of days. You might have to fund your card and then you'll be able to use it. Today, we have streamlined that process. So you can do everything from an app, from an agent, from a partner, and get a virtual card right away, which you can fund. For example, we've seen fintechs partnering with supermarkets, where you can just you know, fund a card on the supermarket and use it right away to shop online. So you are creating new experiences again for that user. So I think for the consumer or the business, there are many benefits. So the speed, the fact that you can have transparency, over your money and how you use it. The fact that you can now maybe shop online where you couldn't before, or even travel with a payment means, which is very difficult, you know, obtaining a credit card, for example, to use abroad might be a luxury, you know, in some places. So I think digital payments has made it possible. Now, when talking about Mexico, it's very interesting. So digital payments are growing, but we find that culturally, there's still more effort to do in enabling contactless payments. So people still like to put the card, put their PIN card, and they feel more comfortable. So there's a lot of work to do around trust and around security to show that you are in control of your money, but also that what the fintech or the neobank or the traditional bank is offering you is also you know, very much protected. Okay, those are very also interesting points about the specificity of Mexico. And thinking about the experience of countries with more experience in this area who have this market more developed, what do you think are the steps that Mexico could take to go to the next level in this sector? I would say, you know, learning about other countries and experiences and where we see like very good, interesting trends in countries where people are more digital nomads, like to travel. There's a lot of FX cards, cards that you can use, one card that might be linked to multiple currency accounts. And it makes it easy for you as a user to track, you know, whatever you spend in your home currency. 
and translate that, but use also one payment method for it. Another country like in Hong Kong, for example, we deliver a card where the user is able to decide on an application, I want to spend now, or I decide to put it as credit. Maybe I purchase, you know, a TV or something more important, and I want to split it and choose how many months I want to split this purchase. So the fact that we put, I would say, customer in control, give them the capability, pre-approve them based on their capability, doesn't have something that you offer to everybody, but you really understand your customer. And we see that as being a trend, like the kind of combined cards, the fact that the card is doing much more, and it doesn't have, again, to be a physical card. It can be just in my wallet or virtual card. Some people do not even get a physical card at all and use their mobile accordingly, or they unlock their numbers once once they go online. So these are the type of trends that we see. And we feel that in Mexico, for example, the remittance business will see new usage, I would say, in terms of payment methods provided. There's a lot of flows of money in and out from many, many countries. And I think that we'll see more and more fintech specializing into that field. Okay. And also going back a little bit with this question, there are other countries. Sometimes when you think about a country, you tend to forget that other countries are going through the similar processes. Like, for example, maybe regulation is a little bit difficult to navigate at the moment, but other countries are going through the same. What do you think Mexico can learn or with which other countries Mexico is navigating this process to just going to the next level of adoption of this? I think you, you have already established and you were one of the first to establish fintech regulation. And it's very important to still push that regulation so that, you know, banks can thrive. Banks should partner with fintech, but the regulation should let fintech provide more means of payments, especially to answer financial inclusion needs. So I think there's a need to create those collaboration between central banks, regulatory sandboxes, support the fintechs in their journey and make sure that they get access to new licenses to disrupt a bit and to create a healthy competition in the country. We see a lot of new innovation coming out from those fintechs, but coming out from collaboration as well. And I would say also supporting the banks in the way they collaborate with others, because I feel there's a bit of shyness uh, still at this level, would help also unlock new features and new services that can support consumer and businesses. And there's also a very large base of entrepreneur, uh, small businesses. And I think there's a lot to do in that space, even at a government level, creating an ecosystem where everybody could collaborate, but where if I register a business, I can open an account easily, I can get access to financing easily. So I think there's a lot of things to do in that space as well around the SME segment. Sure. And also along these lines, fintechs, there are many more options opening up in the market. There are also concerns about the people they are serving to or about finding more clients? What do you think it's the landscape for more fintechs? What space do they have if many more fintechs are being developed? Yeah, I think, you know, getting adoption up. When you talk about banks, when the banks were created, it took them years to become successful and to build the customer base that they have today. So I think it takes some time. I think that it's true that investors in fintechs, they give a bit less time, you know, to succeed, but I think you have to be realistic. So bringing innovation, bringing new technology, sometimes disruption can happen very fast. We've seen during COVID time with digital payments. So sometimes it can be, you know, government push. It can be a natural organic, I would say, event that pushes for it. 
but we have to be realistic that it takes time to build a customer base. So I think fintechs, they have to keep that in mind that, you know, it's not in a year and two, it's many more years to become successful. So they have to build their plan to grow, to have an MVP that works, but also to differentiate from others from the start and position in a way that creates value for the client. Because if you do the same things as others and it's just free or it's just a better UX, that is not enough. So again, the proposition has to be much, much stronger. Excellent. It's very interesting your expert opinion on this matter. Thank you so much for that. And now moving on to financial fraud. Mexico has a high incidence of financial fraud. How do fraud prevention capabilities address the specific fraud challenges here in Mexico to ensure this trust that we still have to build in the industry and the security of card transactions? So I would say there are different levels of frauds. There's fraud that targets consumers on a day-to-day basis. There's fraud that targets directly institutions. There is internal fraud as well within organization, which is like more than 10% of the cases. So organization, they have to have a very, I would say, strong fraud policy, but they also need to evolve this on a regular basis because fraudsters, they get more and more sophisticated and we are not going backwards. We have to increase the way we tackle this. So what we do as Paymentology, we have what we call a payroll engine. And in this payroll engine, you set different rules based on block the card in case of this scenario. Block the card if it's used maybe in Mexico City or in another city at the same time. It can be limiting the amounts, declining a normal transaction if it has certain patterns. So there are things you can do at the organization, at the processing level, and you need to develop so many rules. What we do as well is that we share our knowledge from other institutions globally so that every time we advice on rules that absolutely need to be applied based on new type of frauds. But what's very interesting and what we've done in Mexico as well, you know, beyond what, you know, um, additional password, a different authentication, what we did for a fintech is that we issue cards without any information. So the card doesn't have your name. It doesn't have your number. It doesn't have any information that can be stolen. And we often say, why do we have all of this information on cards, right? Because sometimes you need it to pay online, but you don't need to have it on the card. You could unlock that using your application when you are making a purchase or use a virtual card as a one-time password. We also serve another client where, you know, the three number code that you have at the back of your card, the CVV, is renewed every 30 minutes or can be renewed at every purchase. So you see it changing and it gives you a different number every time, which means that your card is much more protected and the client feels in more confidence. And then we see trends also where we have to put the client in control. So we give them the capability to activate, deactivate your card. If you are not using it, just deactivate. If you use it at an ATM, just activate it. But you can also, you know, you know best when you are spending. So you have to also be in control of your payment experience. And we see more and more of those. Yeah, exactly. Like also one of my questions was about collaboration to try and bring in more security measures to the industry, but also what role does it play or what balance does the industry has to find in asking for regulation that addresses that, that can help 
companies to do this part, like a collaboration between the public part and the private yes. part. And you point something very interesting because this is still lacking. So you have policies at government level. You see fraud security policies done at a national level. And then you see organizations, financial institutions having their own policy based on what they think are best. So they, of course, comply with regulation. And on top of this, they add additional layers of security based on their strategy. And it's true that there's a need for an additional layer. Because when you see fraud, very often fraud is coming from another country, so which is not part of your jurisdiction. So it makes it very difficult to catch fraudsters who are abroad. So I think there's an international collaboration required amongst probably, you know, banking groups, but also government to step the level of protection, because we see very often attacks that come from a different place, someone calling you from a call center, thinking it's your bank, calling with a local number. But all of those is very difficult to tackle at a global level. So there's a need for a new way, definitely, to tackle those type of frauds. Thank you. And we have a very good content regarding these questions. Yeah. So I think we can also move on to the next question about customization. As customization becomes increasingly important to cater to diverse customer needs, how do companies like Paymentology enable banks, neobanks, and fintechs to easily innovate, deploy, and customize card products while also maintaining operational efficiency? So it's a very interesting question that comes very often. Very often people use the term customization and how you can tailor make the experience. But I think the right term that we use at Paymentology is configuration. We build a platform in a way that you can configure rules, your products, your segment of customers, the way you're going to serve them so that the institutions using the platform is able to really serve the customers in a hyper-personalized way. And this is what differentiates us from, for example, legacy platform. If you deal with an old platform more than 10 years old that has been in the market for years that maybe is being used by very large established banks, when they want to launch a new product, it can take a year because they need to customize many, many, many fields. So when it comes to next generation and modern platforms like ours, you just configure, you have a control panel where you have a host of fields, rules that you can configure to design the product to suit the segment or the customer that is behind that product. So this is where that term configurability takes full meaning. It doesn't mean that we don't have to customize, but when customization happens, it means there's like, I don't know, a very large bank with multi-countries that needs to do things completely differently to suit some of their existing legacy systems. But I would say for fintechs, they have the power to configure and to innovate the way they want when it comes to their payment strategy and offering because they have the platform that they can configure by themselves. And talking about this customization, how does Paymentology specifically approaches customization and scalability of the systems that you have to work with? So for us, the scalability is at the infrastructure level. So it means that I need to process thousands of transactions and information in microseconds. But this should not limit you 
to present the right product information to the right customer. And this is where real time comes into the game. It means that whatever you configure in terms of how you need to serve the customer has to be done in real time or near real time because you don't have time to think about it. You already have the information, so you are processing it the right way. And this is the way we have designed, I would say, the platform to work and to serve clients, to have a highly customer-centric experience. The customer is at the center and whatever offering is around it, whatever connection you need to make to be able to deliver you know, that offering is processed in like you know milliseconds. Okay, I see. So it is also part of Paymentology's DNA, basically. Talking about emerging technologies, what emerging technologies or trends do you believe will have the most significant impact on the future of card issuance and processing and also specifically here in Mexico? I think we cannot avoid talking about artificial intelligence. This is something that we use today to make it more contextual, to actually apply, you know, fraud rules, to tailor the need, you know, to the needs of the customer. Uh, so there's more and more understanding, more and more natural language and engagement with the client. And we are just at the start of it. So we'd say some organizations are just experimenting with it and we are yet to see the full capability. So AI for me would be the primary, I would say, technology that will see more and more adapted and adopted by our organization and financial institutions and fintech as well. And I would say in terms of order technology, definitely blockchain is supporting many use cases for financial inclusion, for remittance as well. So there'll probably be more collaboration with those platforms. And if you look at innovation that we had over the last few years, I still feel that the card platform, the card in itself, lots of innovation has been done around the card. So we virtualized, we tokenize information, and we make it available around wallet. So I think we are yet to see the power of how we're going to transform that card experience virtually and digitally across many different wallets and channels. Artificial intelligence, I think it's a very fashion topic, but also it's very interesting. We're still waiting to see what exactly deploys from that. And regarding circling back a little bit to multi-cloud platform, how do you think this platform is positioned to adapt and capitalize of these technologies and these trends that you foresee for the future? Definitely, there's a rise in adoption for very large organizations. Now, fintechs are expanding very fast to many other markets. But I feel that at the same time, cloud regulation is also evolving. So we see more countries changing their regulation around clouds. So I would say, you know, multi-cloud is here, but is it here to stay? I'm not sure because I feel that regulation might change and then we might have different perspective around, you know, shared platforms, one cloud for multiple regions rather than multiple ones. Okay, now we're reaching the last part of the interview, but I would like to ask you also, what are your guesses? What do you think artificial intelligence could, what role can it take in specific processes for this industry? I think the fact that as a consumer or as a business, Artificial intelligence might do some task on my behalf. So I might ask them to schedule some payments for me, for my employees. I might ask to refund a payment on my behalf. And I feel this is where 
Maybe it might support us in our day-to-day lives. However, you know, time will tell on how technology will enable those functions. I think that security, the fact that there might be AI-powered fraud as well, is something that we need to tackle to make sure that, you know, people are reassured to be able to use those functions. So I think that will be very important. Sure, that's the biggest bet that experts have been talking about, like making repetitive tasks easier for users. So now reaching the last couple of questions, if you could give one piece of advice to those who are still skeptical about the services that non-conventional banks can bring, what would it be? If I may share a personal journey and a very recent one. So I've been banking with a traditional bank since, you know, I was very young and I needed a student loan and so forth. So they followed me for many, many years. And since then I worked, I traveled in different countries. So my use are completely different than what it was before. And I feel that in 20 years, my traditional bank doesn't understand me anymore. And I just made the switch to tell you, I shut down the account and I'm now using a neobank. So for my day-to-day banking needs, I might use a fintech to send money abroad. So I use different providers because I find it suiting my lifestyle, which, you know, I, I was getting annoyed to having to explain every time that I work for a UK company, I live in Dubai, I might travel all the time and use my cards in different places. So my message is that find the right fintechs that might, you know, suit your lifestyle, but also a message to traditional banks. It's really time to evolve because people are doing things differently. And this is why we need to really hyper-personalize and understand that segments, the way they were a couple of years back, are not the same today. Excellent. It is so interesting to hear you talk about that, to give this advice. Very interesting to hear your perspective. And now my last question, are there any podcasts or books that you would like to recommend to our audience along the lines of what's been discussed today? I would say in terms of podcasts or news, I often, you know, read the papers, FinTech Insiders, Breaking Banks, very interesting ones. I read a couple of newsletter by FinTech Passionate, and I found that sometimes I get information there that I'm not getting, you know, in general media. And when it comes to book, there are probably two interesting ones that I read recently, one called Bankers Like Us by Leda Glyptis, and it looks at the obstacles to innovation. And many people might recognize themselves in some of the situations. How do we embrace a culture for change? How it's very difficult to get innovation in very you know, traditional organizations. So I think it's very inspiring book. And another one, which is from my friend Sophie Gibo and her co-author Scarlett Sieber, uh, it's about embedded finance. And it looks like how every company is becoming a financial company, how a financial product might be presented to you, you know, from your favorite brand, having your bank at the back end. And I think it gives us a very good signs on how the future of payment and banking will look like. Excellent. Thank you so much for the recommendations. It's time to say goodbye. Thank you so much for your insights. It has been very valuable. Check out everything Paymentology is doing on their website and social media. Don't forget to follow us, leave a rating and a review on whichever streaming platform you are using to listen to this podcast. And if you want to learn more about Mexico's business ecosystem, don't miss out on our other articles written by experts across all industries. We'll see you next Monday with a new view from the top.